It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a rainy and snowy and crappy Tuesday, but holy cannoli, do we have a lot to talk about in the Philadelphia Union world. We have a new signing. We have two new signings. We have a new formation. We have a bunch of great quotes. Joining us to talk about it from MLSsoccer.com, it's the armchair analyst, Mr. Matt Doyle. Matt, how are you, man? I'm doing all right. It's rainy and crappy up here in New York, too, so I think we're all just braving it together. Yes, I, I would prefer to be down in uh, Clearwater, where I think the Union are just wrapping up against Orlando uh, right now. It's another closed-door scrimmage, so we don't have any, any video yet, but I'm very, very intrigued to see what they look like. Um, God, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. We have a new signing. We have a new formation. We have all kinds of stuff. Um, Marco Fabian, I guess that's where you got to start. Uh, what do you make of the signing? Sometimes, you know, when you're a team of this stature, I mean, to get to get a guy like that, maybe that's what you have to do, you know, because you're talking yeah. about the connections that he had with, uh, I guess, Fenerbahce. There was a transfer that they were trying to work out there that didn't that didn't happen. Um, you know, they beat, you know, they beat out uh, Nicoxa for Sergio Santos, too. So I guess when you're tangling with those other teams and you're the Philadelphia Union and you just don't have the financial clout uh, that these other teams do, maybe you got to take a take a flyer on that kind of stuff. Right. You know, and I, and I think that smart teams have, have all over the world have done this kind of thing before, and we see it. It's not just in soccer. You know, we see it in, uh, you know, in the NBA and NFL and yeah. uh, in NHL. You, you, if you're if you're not going to go out there and spend like Atlanta or Toronto, um, you, you have to you have to work a little bit more around the margins, and that feels like what they've done here. And if it pays. It feels like it's going to pay in a very big way. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny you mentioned the NBA because the Sixers tried to do that with Andrew Bynum pre-process mm-hmm. days, and we all know how that one worked out, you know? So. <laughs> it basically led to the process. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So maybe um, maybe it wasn't a bad thing at the end of the day, right? Uh, just had to wait eight years for it to pan out. Yeah, right, according to Mike Wilbon, right? So, um so Marco Fabian goes right in then at, I guess, the tip of the diamond. They're, they're rolling out um, this 4-4-2 that's a different shape. We haven't, we haven't seen anything like this in years. I mean, you know, Jim, Jim's been a, Jim Curtin's been a 4-2-3-1 guy ever since he took over for John Hackworth back in got 2014 now, you know. Um, so, and, and they've been very vocal about this tactical change. I mean, they said very early in the offseason they're going to play with two strikers. We're going to do something different. They used the word transition about 1,500 times. They didn't know exactly what they were talking about right off the bat, but now I do. Um, so what do you just make of the switch in general, and what do you think about what they're trying to do? I, I think it, it comes down to uh, do you want to use the ball to, to disorganize your opposition 
um, you know, as they did last year. They were a very good possession team, and the chances that create, that they created came from having the ball and having, you know, putting a lot of faith in guys who could pass, you know, pass the hell out of it in Madunian yeah. and in Dogecoll and and the like. Versus, do you uh, disorganize your opposition without the ball? Um, and it, it looks like that they have gone in in that direction because Ernst Tanner is a guy who wants to press. He wants to win those moments when the ball is loose. And then as the ball is won, everyone transitions from, you know, hunting the ball to hunting space in attack in order to, you know, find those chances. And that's, I mean, that's very modern soccer. What Liverpool have done under Klopp and what Barcelona have done for a long time. It's what Manchester City, who is the best possession team in the world, they're still very much a high-pressing team. So it's... I get why they're doing it. It is a huge transition to make in one off season, um, and, it, and it, to me, it's a risk. Uh, but I, I get it. I do get it. How much of a risk, Matt? Because you know, like you said, there were there were times last year. I mean, when I was watching the Philadelphia Union where they were winning games of the second half of the season, I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, there there are these stretches where they put put together like five to seven minutes where they look like Real Madrid knocking the ball around. Then you've got Madunian and pinging it around, Bedoya getting up there on the right flank, Doge call, and, and Keegan Rosenberry, who's a really good possession fullback. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, like, wow, they finally got got to this point after so many years of Jim Curtin try, trying to bring it along. Um, I mean, re- realistically, like, how hard how hard is it to switch from that to something completely different? I think it's going to be very hard. And you don't see teams just, like, flip the switch like that because it's not just tactics or formation. It's also personnel. Uh, Rosenberry was excellent last year. He's gone. Yeah. Uh, Madunianin was excellent last year. He he might not be as quick as you, you know? And, like, <laughs> you need to have a, a certain amount of uh, athleticism to be an effective central midfielder um, in high pressing. Uh, you know, the trusty and, and McKenzie fit the athletic profile for what you want on a center back. I mean, you can compare them to, to Long and Parker for the Red Bulls, um, but Long and Parker are five years older. They, they have a little more experience. They understand the, the pace and shape of the game a little bit better. Um, and if you're going to be a high-pressing team, these guys are going to play way up the field with 50 yards behind them for the opposition to hit balls. Like, there, there are just so many things, like one after another. It's a lot. To, it feels like a lot to cram into one uh, one off season. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the one thing like I'm trying to reiterate to to fans who may, maybe might not be familiar with the shape is that you know when when you play the diamond, well, it's really like twofold things because num- number one, th- there's no there's no wingers. You know, and Ernst Tanner has said that. Like we're not. He said, "quote We're not playing with wingers this year because when, whenever you play that, like." You know, you watch a lot of the same Real Salt Lake that I watched back in the day with Jason Christ and how they would play with those kind of, uh, you know, Will Johnson and Ned Grabavoy and Luis Gill kind of midfielders. I think even Colin Warner was there for a little bit. But they're really they're really kind of tucked in, you know, kind of box to box eights. And a lot of your and pretty much all of your width in the system uh, from back to front is from your fullbacks, you know. So it's just totally like a. It's it's really completely different than everything that they, that they were that they were doing already, is it not? Yeah, it is. It, it is, and that's you know again, it goes back to what you were saying. Personnel wise, a, a lot of these guys make sense uh, playing this formation, this style, and a lot of guys, including you know ones that they spent a lot of money on, and 
you know, David Akam and, and Madunyanin, or uh, guys who were good last year in terms of uh, Papa Pico, they yeah. don't make a lot of sense in this formation. Um, it, it's going it, to be yet another challenge for Jim Curtin to figure out how to make, how to make this all work together. Um, and I think he's a really good coach. I, I really do. And I know a lot of Union fans disagree, but you know, that's, you're right. Um, but this is like, he's, he's never coached a team that plays this way. So it's, you know, when you, when you have that kind of challenge on top of everything else, I, I mean, the variation with what the Union can be in terms of final season record and point total and who's good and who's bad is like maybe the biggest in the league. So Matt, if, if I'm handing you the keys and you're putting together the, the team sheet, I mean, really you got like six strikers for two spots on this team right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Sergio Santos, the new guy. You have Fafa Pico, David Akam, CJ Sapong, uh, Corey Burke, who I didn't even mention, um, and Casper Prijbilko. I mean, like, you know, normally in the past when Jim would run the four two three one, it's easy to just shove another body on the wing like CJ ended up playing out on the wing later later last year you know and you could say okay we're just getting quote unquote another attacking body out there right but that's not really the the case this year you know so if you if you had to if you had to pick your two starting strikers on this team right now who are you playing and who's sitting on the bench well I, I assume they, they didn't get Sergio Santos to, to sit him right you know, they, they got him to, to come in and be a starter and he, he's kind of a little quick guy and it seems so far in preseason like they're doing the, the old-fashioned one, you know, little and quick and one big target forward. And that yeah, means yeah. the other spot is, is Corey Burke or, or C.J. Safong. And uh, to me, that's like, what do you need on the day? If you need a little more hold-up play and better passing and just, a, you know, a little more veteran savvy, you go with Safong. But if you want a guy who's going to get into the box and be a little bit more goal-dangerous, uh, that would be Corey Burke. Now, in today's... Today's friendly, today's scrimmage, I guess we'll call it. Uh, it was Burke and uh, and Sergio who started together up top. Yeah. And then Sapong and, and Pico uh, coming on together in the second half. So maybe that, you know, we're getting to the point in preseason where you can learn something from the lineups that the coaches are putting out. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, you know, midfield-wise, you know, we talked a lot about Alejandro Bedoya over the years as being sort of like a glue guy, a utility guy who can do a lot of different things well. Um, Derek Jones has always been kind of a tweener, too. I mean, I, I don't. he's got a little bit of eight in him. He's got a little bit of six in him. I thought when he first came out, he looked like a young Tony Chani a little bit. Um, but, I mean, it seems like it would make sense in this formation if they were going to commit to Harris Madunian and play him back there. You know, and I, I use this example like 50 times on the podcast, and people are probably sick of hearing about it by now. But when AC Milan played with Andrea Pirlo back in the day and, and allowed him to sort of sit deep, they would, they would play Gattuso on one side of him and, and Clarence Seydorf on the other side, you know, and they would sort of tuck those guys in and let him protect him. Um, it seems like those roles make sense for – I'm not saying Bedoya and Derek Jones are, are Gattuso and Seydorf, but it seems like if they're going to use them in the same way, it, it would probably fit their skill sets. It, it seems like it. Yeah, because I've, I've had this conversation about Derek Jones as well. It's like, well, is he a six? Is he an eight? Not, you know, he's not quite um, positionally responsible enough to be a, a true number six at this point. Uh, as a as a true number eight in like a three man midfield, uh, does he get on the ball enough? Does he dictate the game enough? And I, I'm not sure the answer to that is yes. But if you put him on the side of the diamond, um, you you kind of minimize those couple of weaknesses, and, and you, you get to emphasize his strength, which is that he can fit four or five different roles in the midfield. He can win the ball. He can cover ground. Um, 
it can be kind of a force multiplier in attack uh, and in defense. So, like at this point, you know, my hunch is that he's going to be a starter as one of the shuttlers, with Bedoya as a starter as the other, um, and then you just have to get him to buy into it because I don't think any soccer player grows up dreaming of being a shuttler. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be Pirlo. They don't think they're going to be the guy supporting Pirlo. Um, so if you get him to buy into it, then I think he could be very, very good in that position. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think I've ever ran into anybody at the pickup game who says, yeah, I can't wait to be the next uh, the next big shuttler out there. That's true. I've never really right. heard that. <laughs> um, what did you uh, – what did you make of the Keegan Rosenberry trade and also the acquisition of this guy out of the, out of the German third division? Cause I, I think on the surface, I'm looking at this team. Um, I think they've got a decent midfield, obviously Trusty and McKenzie um, are what they are. Um, I like the, I like what they have as far as striker now. And they just signed Marco, Marco Fabian, but I, I'm kind of wondering what's going on with the fullbacks right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering the same. I was shocked by the, the Rosenberry trade because he had been, you know, I thought so good last year, and, and honestly, so good in in uh, you know 2016 as well. Obviously, 2017 was. Um, yeah. I don't want to forget that one, but yeah. this is a national team caliber player. Uh, and if you you know you start talking at the start of the at the start of the segment about so many of those sequences, second half of the last year where the Union were just using the ball so well to rip teams up. There was one in particular, I think, against NYCFC, where it was like, holy God, this team's playing the best soccer in the league. <laughs> Rosenberry was at the heart of that. Yeah. To, you know, for them to to pass him up, and, you know, Ray Gaddis is a good, solid player, and um, I guess they have, what is it, Mbazio, the kid who was with... Yeah, uh, with Steele. Uh, you know, and, like, the, Wagner, I guess you have to trust Ernst Tanner um, to, you know, and, and like he, he's hired for a reason. He, he has a very good resume. You, you, you trust him to understand um, maybe who's got some latent or, or undiscovered talent from German lower divisions. Like, okay, it, it all kind of makes sense. But also it's like fullback should have been a strength, like on paper, should have been a strength of this team going into 2019. And instead, as you said, it, it's kind of a question mark. Um, and, and, you know, Tanner and Curtin and everyone else better hope that uh, it doesn't get answered in the wrong way. Yeah, I personally think that Keegan's defensive liabilities or whatever that narrative was, I think that was kind of overblown a little bit. Um, because, you know, 25-year-old domestic attacking fullbacks don't grow on trees, you know. And uh, when, when you would see him get up there, you know, and see him hit some of those triangles with Dogecoll and Bedoya and uh, Madunian. I mean, they were so heavily right-sided, it was crazy. But when they were clicking, they were clicking. So it just seems crazy to, to get younger by going from 25 years old to 21 years old. But but what do I know? Um, Matt, Matt, what do you what do you make of, of Jim Curtin as a tactician? And, and what have you seen from him over, over the years? And I, I always like to ask national guys this thing because – you know, I think in Philly we're obviously probably a little more negative because that you know they don't have a playoff win and it's just been kind of the same thing year after year. But but from your perspective, what do you make of of Jim as a coach and what he's done? I, I mean, I think that you know, like all young coaches or most young coaches, he came in and he, he struggled a bit. And um, I don't think it's a secret that the union were, were mostly at a talent deficit, especially compared to some of the bigger spending teams in the East. So yeah you kind of have to be creative or you have to be a, a, a prodigy in order to, to compete. And 
Curtin wasn't a prodigy, but he looked like a good, solid coach for the first couple of years. And I think the last um, three in particular, we saw him come into his own doing, I think, a lot of the stuff that, that Greg Berhalter did uh, with Columbus in terms of valuing possession and getting guys out there who could really pass. And then you see these patterns that they would run again and again and again. Um, and as you said, really heavily right-sided, going through Rosenberry and, and Bedoya. Um, and and you, you realize like that's not an accident. That's not just putting guys out there and getting the best out of them uh, because they're so talented. That's actually putting guys out there with a specific plan that they have uh, worked on. And I, I thought they did that really well last year. Um, I think that if you can do that well in one formation, you could probably do it pretty well in another. But uh, it's not a guarantee. You know, some coaches are really only meant to coach one thing. And yeah. I think one of the biggest tests for Curtin this year is, well, can he be as effective uh, coaching the press as he was coaching a possession team? So that's a perfect segue into my final question for you. It's almost like you were reading my mind here. Um, when you When you look at... When Ernie Stewart came in in 2016, he said, you know, I, he said, I went to Jim Curtin and asked him what formation he wanted to play and what he wanted to do tactically. And he said, four, two, three, one. And Ernie said, OK, let's do it. Right. The opposite thing is kind of the case here where a sporting director comes in. The sporting director says to the coach, this is what we're going to do. And I'm going to get you the pieces to do it. So, it, you know, I think on the surface, it's probably harder for a coach to do the latter, you know, for somebody to tell you what to play. Um, but at the same time, does that, does it help uh, Curtin at all? Because he's just trying to execute somebody else's vision instead of maybe proving that what he wants to do is the right thing in the first place. I mean, is there, is there a preferential way? If you were a coach, would you rather do it one way versus the other way? Oh, I'd rather, I would rather do the first thing. Yeah. I'd rather be like, well, this is how I want to play. Yeah. So go get me the guy so I can do it. Uh, Tanner coming, and we know this again. This is in every in every sport, in every team. A new GM comes in. He probably wants his guy. He almost certainly wants his guy. And uh, you know, maybe maybe Ernst Tanner and, and, and Jim Curtin really, really hit it off. He decided that Curtin's his his guy. Um, and again, maybe not. Maybe this is just a test to see that it is see if Curtin can do it. And if not, you know, if not, it's going to be someone else. Uh, I, I suspect that it's going to be. Uh, a short leash and um, almost, you know, it feels, I, I feel bad for him because he's been through this again and again, but like, this is like, he's an interim head coach and he's probably got four months to prove that he should be a long-term head coach uh, for Ernst Tanner's vision of the Philadelphia Union. There's a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And we will be, uh, that'll probably be the main storyline once we kick this thing off. So, hey, Matt, thanks a lot for your time, man. I appreciate it. Matt Doyle from MLSsoccer.com. You can follow him on Twitter. I think it's Matt Doyle 76 Do I have that right? You do. Perfect. Uh, you've probably, you're probably already following him, following him, and you probably read all this stuff anyway. But thanks for hopping on the podcast, man. Thanks for talking some uh, Philadelphia Union, and we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely, bud. All right, it's now time for the questions, comments, and concerns portion of the program. Union Report says, What would you say about the prospects of having Burke and Santos as strikers, playing Fafa on the left flank and CJ on the right flank, and having all four on the field uh, at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I just don't think it really fits their skill set, you know, because – 
you know, like we were saying with Matt, those those midfielders who are who are on either side of the six are sh- are shuttlers, you know. So like think about that list of guys that I gave you that used to play with like Ray Alsaw Lake when they were uh, when they were good. Will Johnson, Ned Grabavoy, Luis Gill, uh, Arturo Alvarez, Colin Warner. Like those are the kinds of midfielders you should be thinking about as playing on either side. Because here's the thing, you you. You already got two strikers on the field, so the formation is already has been tweaked to be more attack-minded, right? And then you have a guy like Marco Fabian playing at the tip of the diamond. Basically, it's like the closest thing you can be to a number 10 when you have two strikers on the field. So you're just unbalanced. Like, like Fafa and CJ aren't going to play enough defense to be box-to-box shuttler kind of guys in, in that formation. It's just really take, – take what Ernst Tanner said at face value. I mean, they're not – they are not playing with wingers, literally. And, like – you know, I said to Matt, I mentioned to Matt, CJ goes out and plays there on the wing, can be a target winger kind of guy. Fafa can go out there and be on the wing. But at, at that point, when you're playing that way in a 4-2-3-1, you still have a double pivot there, you know. So because you already have another striker on the field, you're already a little more attack-minded in the diamond. That's why you need those defensive kind of guys who are who are playing alongside Medunian or whoever else the six is. Um, Peter Andrews, my man, Peter Andrews from the Philly soccer page, uh, probably chilling out there in the nice weather in the West Coast right now. He says, how do you think the union can best use Boban this season? Those are the kind of questions that uh, that I'm perfect to answer now because it's half soccer, half Sixers. I feel like if I could find that uh, sweet spot of people who like both teams, I could have the, the, greatest, the greatest podcast in the world. Boban should be a goalkeeper if he played soccer. Probably have trouble getting down, getting down to his left, uh, left and right, though. Um, Mike Cardamone says, Negadelphia question coming up, but whatever. Given uh, Fabian's contract breakdown and his desire to get back to Europe ASAP, could we be back in the same situation next season regarding the need for a new number 10 uh, as we have the past couple of years? Well, yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, you know, the Dogecoll thing is whatever. But Barnetta wanted to go back to Europe. Dogecoll wanted to go back to Europe. Fabian is pretty spread. That's the thing. I mean, these are all great players. Like, it's it's hard to it's hard to find number 10s. They don't. You know, they that's that's why the issue is what it is. If, if you could find a number ten and stick him here for years, you would have had a playoff win by now. But maybe that's the reality when you are the Philadelphia Union, or you just hope that at some point you have a domestic uh, guy, one of the guys to your academy, can play the position. It's easier to turn Fontana or Brendan Aronson, Anthony Fontana or Brendan Aronson, into like a tip of the diamond kind of playmaker because you still have two strikers on the field. So I don't know, but it's just how many go through MLS, how many teams are playing an American as their number ten? You know? I mean, like there really aren't are there any of them? I can't even remember off the top of my head. But no, it's just it's not Negadelphia, that's just reality. That's just sort of how it how it always is because those those that position is the, the most de, most in demand position in the world. You know, it's not just an MLS. Everybody's looking for a number ten. It's not just a thing where like we can't produce number tens, we need to import them. Like everybody wants to import um playmakers especially from south south america central america you know so. uh andrew says is it typical for a soccer coach to have his coaching strategies and tactics dictated by the manager uh or versus american football where the coach's philosophy rules yeah i mean i think that's kind of what i was trying to ask matt at the end there. i mean i didn't phrase it the best way but uh, i think what i was trying to say is that if jim Curtin is being told what to do then he can just sort of say well shit i was just trying to do what i was told to do versus maybe there being more pressure on him or the onus to be successful if you roll if he rolls out his own formation it's not really working or his set of tactics aren't really working so i think it's just kind of ironic because when they got to the end of the season last year they're playing some really good soccer man 
They're playing some damn good soccer. Uh, you know, I'm not joking about it. You saw the same thing I saw, where they looked like looked like Barcelona for chunks of five minutes in the second half, or the other team couldn't even get a sniff of the ball. Um, but no, I mean, it's more, it's, especially in, in the United States, it's probably more the the coach wanting to do his thing, because, I mean, how many, you know, general managers are, pull, like, you know, soccer is not really a sport necessarily, where it's like, I'm going to go get Kevin Durant, and we're going to play pick and roll. You know, it's it's a more broad kind of kind of scope to it. You know, so you see a little bit of that kind of with Brett Brown now trying to trying to fit into Tobias Harris and Jim, Jimmy Butler. You know, I mean, he's a motion offense kind of coach. Should he adapt and and change to play ISO and pick and roll ball just because Elton Brand went and got him Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris? I don't know. It's a case study that we're living at the moment. You know, uh, Craig says, "What's up with the stadium area development story you teased about?" Did I tease about that? What did I tease about that? Let me uh, hit up my source on that, and I'll see if there's anything to report. Uh, Jared says six guys for two spots up top. Yeah, I mean, I asked Matt about it. Um, Ernst pretty much said he doesn't play with wingers. Do they have to trade someone or just run with immense depth um, and have most of those guys not make the 18? I'm, I'm, I'm sure the Vets won't want to be playing with Steele. Yeah, I mean, you got to move somebody. I mean, you could maybe play Prij Bilko with Steele for a little bit, but you can't roll out – Sergio Santos and David Akam and have Fafa Pico and Corey Burke sitting on the bench. CJ is just whatever at this point. I'd consider him a like a bit part piece. Watch that come back to bite me in the ass. But uh yeah, I mean you're not playing it. You're not playing three five two, so you're not gonna play Fafa as like a wing back or anything like that. If you watch Newcastle the other day, if you watch Almarone's debut, they were playing three at the back. They had Matt Ritchie playing left wing back, you know. I just don't I'm I'm not I'm getting kind of off track here, but I'm not a big fan of playing wingers as wing backs, you know, because there's just too much defensive work that's required to turn those kinds of players into it. You saw a little bit of that with Roman Alessandrini played wing back a bit for the Galaxy, I think, before um, before Siggy left. Um, rest in peace, by the way. Um, and it just didn't really work out all that much. So, yeah, I mean, six guys for two spots. I don't know. I, I still think you try to move one of them if you can, but I don't think anybody wants CJ at 500K. You want to keep Fafa. You probably want to keep Burke. So I don't know who you, I don't know who you would move, you know. Um, good problem to have, at least. Mike says, which pairing up top makes the most sense? Uh, I still think it's Pico and Santos. But, you know, like Matt said, they're, do, they're kind of doing that big, small kind of thing where you, you can, you know, play Corey as a kind of – it's Santos and either Pico or or Burke, I think, at this point. Because Akam is basically P- – Akam is Pico. I mean, they're the same type of player. And Burke is a different change of pace. And if CJ is the same as Burke, then you're going to r- rate Burke higher than CJ anyway, you know? So uh, Mike also says the top of the left-back depth chart, is it Real or Wagner? I mean, it's got to be Real. You know, think about it. They made this third division German signing. I was ready to kill him for it. You know, I did the one sardonic tweet or whatever. But the Fabian news came right after it. So, I don't know. When Ernst says, yeah, the trust me, the German third division is better than USL. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I would hope so. I mean, you're not really trying to hire, bring in USL guys anyway unless they're your own academy guys. You know, it's, it's long, long gone are the days of trying to find the best player in USL and bringing him up to your team. You know, like it just doesn't. We've, we have moved beyond that at this point. Uh, Adam says, have you heard any update on Akam's recovery and whether he will be full strength and speed for start of the season? I mean, I assume if the, this injury thing was announced like at the end of last year, um, 
and it was kind of a known quantity for them that he should be fine by now. Like I said, with the sports hernia, man, it took me like at least three months to start feeling normal again. Um, so that that would he would be at least on that timeline, if not a little bit more. Uh, if healthy, do you see him as a possible return to form that may solidify him as a star? He's the X factor, man, this year, isn't he? You know, I could see a situation, God, where maybe the def- the young defense maybe regresses or takes a step back, but a calm gets back to what he is, you know. Um, and that gives you a hell of a problem up top. And then you're top-heavy. And then the, the union are top-heavy at striker for, like, the first time ever, you know. Um, oh, sorry. Somebody's texting me. Okay, gotcha. Um, Paul says, is there a place for Harris in the four four two? Who's the best fit for de- defensive midfielder if we play diamond versus flat versus empty bucket, et cetera? Uh, is DM a weak spot on our roster that we need to design around? Yeah, I mean, like I said on the podcast before, and I wrote this in the uh, Fabian article the other day, I mean, part of playing the diamond is because you, you with those shuttlers, they tuck in to protect the defensive midfielder. So with, with Harris, if Harris is playing with Craval on one side of him and Bedoya on the other side, or Derek Jones on one side and Bedoya on the other side of him, that that alleviates his defensive concern, you know? So yes, there is a place for him there. But then you're also thinking he's 33 years old and he's in the final year of his contract. So who is the defensive midfielder behind Harris Madunian? Is it Derek Jones? I don't know. Like, Matt's, I agree with Matt. Like, I don't know if he's positionally um, or, or right now even, like, mentally the a number six. Uh, is not that. We know he's not a number six. Creval, I don't think, passes the ball well enough to be a number six, a starting number six in this in this um, system. So I don't know. I think it has to be Harris because I don't, I don't know if you really like what else you have there. So let's let's do it around him. Let's copy what AC Milan did with Pier- with Pirlo, where you where you negate some of his defensive uh, drawbacks and and try to do it that way. You know, you know when you play like flat four four two, you could uh, you, you what would happen is then you would you would add wingers back in. You know, so if you say say you played like Bedoya and Jones as like your two in the middle, think of what the LA Galaxy did years ago: Juninho and Marcelo Sarvas, who are basically like carbon copies of one another. You know, they just kind of exchange going back and forth. But they would play Land and Donovan on one side, and they would play I don't you know whoever else on the other side. And then they have two strikers up front, so you could play flat. Yeah, they could definitely play flat in this system. Um, Marco Fabian, then I don't. I don't I don't know. It's it's harder for him. I think if you if you played flat four four two, I think Fabian would be one of your strikers because then you're losing a defensive uh, you know defensive body in there. Um, Tallahassee Union. We're weirdly optimistic about the Union, and we want y'all to celebrate with the um, the Tallahassee Union uh, SOBs. Do you want some local beer? Oh yeah. I'll, well, Jesus, is that even a question? Of course. Um, Oh, Ezra is uh, doing the covering this right. Yeah, the stuff you guys sent the last time, that was great. Uh, f- there was the brewery in Tallahassee. I was drinking, Dave and I were trying them, sampling them on, on the podcast. I'm going to sit on air. We're sampling one on the podcast. I spilled one all over over my notes, but they were damn good. That was one of our best podcasts. Uh, coincidentally, when Tallahassee Union sent the beers to It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, that was one of our highest rated podcasts, believe it or not. Uh, it was the quick glance of Bork Dochkal, which I think was a top five. Uh, podcast last year um alex m says how many goals assists do you think each of the dps get this season uh, akam santos and uh, fabian uh, also how likely is it that jim reverts back to what's comfortable and switches to four two three one uh, either mid game or to start games later in the season well i think we get to the point where he's going back to four two three one i think he'd be gone you know because i don't think that's what ernst wants to do you know so this is kind of like a you know, he's dangling him a carrot and saying, look, I'll keep you around and let's see if you can do this, the, you know, play the system that I want to play. And if not, I'm going to bring in my own guy. So, number one, that's an extra layer for 
Ernst Tanner to protect himself. You know, if it's not working out, he can say, all right, well, it's just, it's not me. It's the coach. And then when Jim goes and somebody else comes in, he can say, oh, well, you know, you know, he loses that extra layer there. So, you know, it's like the one piece of armor that falls off. Goals and assists, Santos, I don't know. I could see Santos as like a, like a 10 to 12 kind of guy. If Corey Burke was able to get 10 last year and Fafa had 10 last year, um, I could see him in that range. Akam, I'll say eight. And Marco Fabian, I'll say he scores like I'll say he scores like five goals, but he gets like thirteen to fifteen assists. Um, Matt Thornton says, "How can the Union get Russell Tybert from Vancouver? Uh, he's on a one hundred sixty k total offer. Uh, he's on one sixty k total. Do you offer Burke upside for cheaper salary? Pico uh, Sapong seems difficult to move. I mean, I wouldn't offer." If they do Sapong for Tybert, I would do it in a in a moment. I pause there for a minute because I'm trying to match salaries here, but I'm thinking I'm not in the NBA. The salaries don't have to match. So yeah, Russell Tybert's a good is like a good shuttler kind of kind of mole. He he would fit what they need here. But if if they're gonna play that, they've already got Bedoya, Jones, Craval. Anthony Fontana might be able to play as like a shuttler. He might be kind of that tweener that we're talking about, you know? Yeah, shuttlers. I'm talking about Clarence Sadorf. I'm talking about Gattuso, kind of half box to box kind of things. Michael Bradley could probably play the position. You know, guys that are normally those tucked in wings, those tucked in wide midfielders are are kind of like if they were playing in any other formation, they'd be like a number eight. You know what I mean? Like Vince Nogueira would be a good shuttler. You know, so, um, Justin says with the changes in formation and the new additions, does this squad actually win or host a playoff game? I still think no. I still think they're like probably like a fifth sixth seventh kind of team but everybody else gets better too toronto is interesting though with the javinko thing i don't know what the hell they're going to be this year uh mike uh, being greedy with the second question here he says is the roster better on paper in 2019 than it was in 2018 i don't know man it was pretty good on paper last year remember you know you had that that front of cj and and pico and akam Dojka. I mean, we were talking about guys who were like all internationals or all had like like good scoring seasons at some point in their life. I think it looks. Ju- I think it looks probably the same on paper, because they lost their best assist provider of all time in Dojka, but they got a Mexican international out of it. Um, I think they're really really weak at fullback, though. I, I would be really really concerned with fullback because you got Matthew Real has what like three or four starts. Olivier Mbizo has has one start. Uh, Kai Wagner has zero MLS starts, and Ray Gaddis has like a billion. Those are your fullbacks this year. I mean, you don't have Keegan Rose uh, and Fabinho, but he's more of a. They said as much that he's more of a going to be more of a coach. So I don't know why they signed him to a new contract anyway. Um, Josh says, "I'd like to know your opinion about the away kit and the Adidas kits across the league." I have to come back to that because I didn't really scope out a much much of it. I I thought the white ones look cool. I, I don't. I know people are kind of bored on like, uh, you know, plain white kind of stuff, but it's got the little like star look or the little kind of burst coming out of the corner there, I guess, near the bottom. I got to admit, I'm number one, I'm partially colorblind. Uh, number two, I don't really, I'm not much of a, like a jersey guy, a kit guy, because I don't wear them. Like I can't, I can't wear them anyway. I, I don't wear a Sixers jersey. I don't, I couldn't wear a Union jersey when I was covering the team, and no, nor would I. Um, but I don't, I don't know the way everybody seems to be like bored with the plain white or whatever the hell, you know, I just want it. I just want a mandate where they can't have like union blue versus a red team. Cause every time I was sitting, I'd be sitting up there in the press box. And I'd be watching like the Chicago fire wearing red and the union wearing dark blue. And I couldn't see shit, you know, 
So I think we need to spend more time, um, you know, helping out colorblind Americans. Uh, Anthony says goals and assist prediction for Marco. Yeah, I, I don't know, like four or five goals and maybe like 13 assists. I could say like a four and 12, a four and 14 kind of thing. Um, he he can score goals, man. He's not like a – he can play a lot of different things. He can play on the wing. Um, he can play central midfield. He, he's not like a – you know, he's small and he's shifty and he's a number 10, but he's not like a – He's more he's more of like a kind of a hybrid than a than a pure just just assist guy. You know, he's he's not a guy who's gonna he's not like a Christian Maidana where he's gonna score like zero goals and fifteen assists. <laughs> it's like not that's not really his game. He's got a really good shot. Um go look at his highlights. He's hit some lasers over the years. Uh what numbers would exceed expectations? I mean, if you get five and fifteen out of it, I think that'd be like awesome, wouldn't it? Uh, Justin Meyer says, I can't freaking wait until March 2nd. How far ahead of myself am I getting? I think you're getting a little far ahead. Uh, remind me that we're the union and these things aren't all going to work out perfectly. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a union and these things aren't gonna all going to work out perfectly. Uh, John says, I'm excited so I know this will end badly. What po- What is the part of the plan for this season that is most likely to fail? It's fullback. It's fullback, man. I mean, who's your – I'll ask you the listener question. I know you can't answer it because, you know, it's a podcast, but I want you to pause and think about it and meditate on this. Uh, you know, if you are sitting in your car right now on the Schuylkill Expressway or whatever part of 95 is currently backed up, um, you know, and you're putting together the starting lineup right now, who are your fullbacks? Is it Matt Real and Mbizo? I mean, that's a back line that's 21 years old, 20 years old, 20 years old. I mean, that's the youngest back line of all time and eternity, you know? So that's what's likely to fail, I think. Uh, Joe says, will Derek Jones finally end his exile uh, from the youth movement this season with less slash no winger usage? Yes, I think so. I hope he doesn't get back. Uh, it doesn't end up back in there because I just, I don't think I need to see as little of Warren Craval and Ray Gaddis as possible this year. Not because I have anything against those guys personally, but like I've said on here a million times before, you're trying to upgrade in positions and bringing those guys back was depth. It was not to have them start. Um, Robert says, not a union question per se, but I'm attending my first Premier League game in person next month. Will I get into a fight if I wear a union scarf? Uh, I try to make it a point to not behave in a way to get my butt whooped when I travel abroad. No, because I don't think anybody in England knows what the fuck the union are anyway in the first place. What Like, you're going to roll up to a West Brom game and some some West Brom ultra is going to come up to you and say, take that union scarf off. No, I think you're safe, man. I don't I mean no, when I was over there it was in the summer, so I didn't get to go to a game, but we toured Emirates, the uh, Emirates Stadium, that was really cool. But uh, there was there wasn't I didn't really get to expect uh, to experience too much of the the football supporter culture, you know. United Dices, have the union overhy- overhyped this Fabian signing and do you think he'll produce more than Doge called it? No, there's no there's no way there's of I mean of course that they rarely ever make a signing like this ever, so of course it's it's the biggest fucking thing of all time, you know. Like Freddie Adu, they brought the entire union front office down to the the press conference room just to sit there and watch it. So of course they're always gonna see more overhyped because the union never never do this kind of thing, you know. But don't sleep on Doge call, man. I mean that dude was was really, really good last year. Um, it's going to be really, really hard to replace that. I don't know if he can. Uh, Matt Bogart says, uh, who would you want us to trade for in the league? Can we convince Nagby that Philly is close to Ohio? 
Yeah, man, I don't know. I God, I would like another fullback. I don't know who's on the market. Um can we convince Nagby that Philly is close to high? He'd be perfect for that for a diamond too, man. I mean, holy crap, you know. He is he is the quintessential shuttler. Uh, Darlington Nagmi, a Vince Noguera, like a you know, if you want an international example, like a Jabby Alonzo kind of player. Although Alonzo is more of just like a like a four two three one kind of eight who could pass the ball pretty much anywhere. His passing range was like forty times my passing range. But I, I before any Nagby kind of stuff, I would try to seek out another fullback, you know. Uh, Rob says, what do we do with the excessive strikers? Does Burke have value in trade? Yeah, Burke probably has the most value in a trade, doesn't he? The comms salary, CJ's salary. It's it's peak P and Pico, you're not going to move. I, I personally, if you had to move one, I'd move Burke. Like I told you guys, I'm not that big on him. But um, uh, Vince says, who is the starter alongside uh, Santos? I mean, I still think it's – oh, he says, is it a com Burke, Sapong – or Hingle McCringleberry of the Irish Fifth Division. Yeah, I think I got a Union Hulk question this week. That's disappointing. Uh, also, what do you think our plan B game plan would be, or are we con- continuing the Union tradition of being predictable? Well, I mean, if you go back to Ernst's uh, quotes at the beginning of the offseason, he said, you know, we when our plan A failed, we didn't have a plan B. Because if he couldn't possess the ball, then what the hell were they supposed to do from there, you know? So when you counterpress um, and you try to try to – you know, be strong in the middle of the park. It's, it's, it's your, your plan, the union offensive plan, the union plan last year was predicated on them possessing and, and doing what they do offensively. And when they were taken out of what they could do offensively, they didn't do anything good enough defensively to kind of just grind out a game, you know? So when you counter press, you just put a bunch of athletes on the field. Even if you're not clicking offensively, you're putting bodies in and you're winning the ball back and you're out fitnessing the other team. So it's it's very it's just a very German way to play, you know. Uh, Big Mac says has learning that the union fell into a great situation without a transfer fee tainted the signing. Uh, yeah, well, he says it's a great signing, but it really lets Sugarman off the hook because the deal most likely wouldn't have happened with the transfer. Yeah, and when Jay says, "Well, we have a ten million dollar budget for development and uh, signings," like that's nothing. That's nothing, man. Like it's nice to get a number on that. It sounds big, but when you when you think that like Atlanta United paid fifteen million dollars for Barco, they paid a transfer fee that was one hundred fifty percent of what the union's annual budget is for the academy and signings. So when Jay comes out and says this isn't the biggest signing we're ever going to make, okay, like then go do it. Then go do it. You can't sit here and say like. It's a great look. It's a great signing, man. The guy fits here perfectly. The reason you're able to do it is because he's got an injury history, you know. Uh, the thing with Fenerbahce fell through because they bullshitted. I guess an injury thing. I don't. I don't really know what the hell. But look, man, it's like you you got him. Like like Matt. Like we were saying with Matt at the beginning. Like sometimes when you are a team that does not have the clout or the the history or whatever, sometimes you got to pull a swing for an Andrew Bynum. You know. Maybe that can be the the title of the podcast that'd be kind of negative i don't really want to make it negative uh klein says what if the union used a two four four formation yeah well there wouldn't be a lot of defense would there hmm. just be chunking ball the opponent would have to do is just kick the ball into the corner every single time uh ryan says so no wingers no no wingers uh, rob says who plays the other shuttle back opposite bedoya i like jones big mac best ipa for valentine's day none no IPAs. They're disgusting. 
man on says straight up with Kai Santos, uh, Fabian, and the new system. Where do you expect the union to finish? I'll say sixth. And Mike is trying to get a third question in here. He says, what does Fabian do to lift the profile of the team uh, off uh, the field? Uh, well, shit. I mean, there's there are legions of you know kids who play in Camden and who play up at SoFive on on Common Avenue, where I used to work for a little bit, who don't speak a lick of English and uh, watch Liga MX and love the Mexican game. And even even beyond that, I mean, we got a bunch of Brazilian guys up there and a bunch of, uh, of like European guys up there. It's there. You know, you guys know as well as I do that there are people in this in this area who love the sport, who don't give a shit about the union. So I think it's a needle mover in that regard to tap into the Latino demographic. I mean, I'm not saying that's why they made the signing. This is just one thing that comes along with it. But when people kind of laugh, they say like, well, why do you need to like have a guy like this or that or whatever the, the hell to support your local team? You don't like, I don't, I don't look at the Philadelphia union. I don't look at any team. I don't say like, I need to see somebody who looks like me. Okay, first of all, I'm like a middle class white kid, so that's stupid anyway. But you know, it's it's not that it just it just draws interest. It's, oh shit, Marco Fabianis, but I know who he is. You know, like sometimes you have to have these kind of specific above the radar kind of signings to catch people's attention anyway. Like you and I and everybody who listens to the podcast and everybody who's covered this team or has been a season ticket holder for years, we're willing to you know go along with with the team or cover the team right about the team buy season tickets because it's we see it as like the team that was never here it's our team or like we're going to support that because it's a philly domestic home 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 team kind of thing you know it's it's the anti-front runner kind of thing these guys might suck but they're our guys you know it's that concept but you have people who don't think that way and some of them are like uh foreign kids who live up in the northeast who probably love league mx and might come down to to town might buy a bimbo jersey just because marco fabianzo now so I mean, of course that's always important you know um there are pockets of those places all over philly where it would serve the union to really get in there and do a little bit more and this does it so so that's positive we're gonna end on a positive note it's a very positive podcast believe me as donald trump would say and uh we'll do another one hopefully whenever i don't really have any programming notes for you guys i know it's been a while since we did the last one um, but my wife is due in like two months. Uh, Dave's got his new job. Um, try to get the George on. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll just, we're going to sort of kind of wing it. There's, there's not going to be any like programming announcement. We're going to do A, B, C, and D, at least until my daughter's born and we get this whole thing figured out. We're just going to kind of wing it. I'll try to do a podcast here or there when I can, but it's not going to be like, Hey, this is a replacement for Dave and we're doing this and we're going to do X amount of shows a month or whatever. We're just going to try to you know, do it as it comes. And, and, you know, thankfully Matt was willing to jump on uh, when I had some time this afternoon. All right. So that's enough of my rambling. Thank you for listening. As always, we will see you next time. And Baxter says, we'll see you next time as well.